Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. When we talked to Marietta Fernandez, one of the parents from Holy Cross, she told us a story about Sister Michelle Lewis that in all our years digging into the school, we'd never heard before. Just before joining the monastery and deciding to live the rest of her life as a nun, Sister Michelle told Marietta that she took a trip home to Ohio, where she grew up. She packed up all of her belongings that she had. She had a truck. She put them in her truck. She drove to her family's home. She dropped everything off. On that drive, Sister Michelle was letting go of her past life, getting rid of what she owned, moving on from her job as an accountant, and putting her divorce and abusive marriage in the past. But she was giving up more than those parts of her identity. Because I knew that she liked rock and I knew that she liked heavy metal and stuff like that. I had this whole imagination of Sister Michelle driving down the road by herself with all of her belongings, you know, listening to Stairway to Heaven and Metallica and the doors or everything and saying, This is the last time I'm ever going to do this because my life is going to change. She released any energy that was in any way negative in her life. And she knew that she had to do that. If she was going to be a monastic, you give everything up. You really don't bring anything with you. She was joyful to do that. She was joyful because she was releasing that from her life. She was starting over. Hearing the story about Sister Michelle now, it got us thinking about Father Wendt and Father Damien. We've spent so much time talking to the police and lawyers and Mike over the years that we've always seen the priests from that perspective, as manipulative, power-hungry frauds who maybe sexually abused one of the boys who they promised a better life. But over the years, we can't say that we haven't had our doubts about that story as well. There was never any solid corroborating evidence that the abuse happened. If Mike was capable of doing something as terrible as stabbing someone more than 90 times, maybe he's also capable of lying about the abuse. And if that's the case, who's to say that the priests weren't doing the same as Sister Michelle when they moved to North Carolina? Maybe they weren't running away, but giving up what they had, the school, the monastery, their community, 
and starting over again. And when the Orthodox Church in America also started looking into them, maybe they realized that they didn't go far enough. They needed to give up more and begin again, this time in Ukraine. But their long silence in the decades since the murder has left us feeling like we'll never truly know how to feel about all of this. When we started the project, we knew that in order for this story to feel fair, we'd have to at least try to talk to Father Went and Father Damien to share their side of the story. But 20 years ago, they didn't even answer questions while under subpoena in front of a judge. And on top of that, we had no idea where to even find them. I'm Paula Barros. And I'm Melanie Bartley. And this is Sacred Scandal. Okay, so when we returned to this project last year, here's what we knew about the group from Holy Cross. From what we could put together based on what's publicly visible on social media like Facebook and LinkedIn, Fathers Went and Damien, Petro and Vasile all appeared to be in Ukraine since about 2011. And it looks like they've invested heavily in building some sort of hospital or clinic called Protection Medical Center. It's in Uzgorod, the biggest city in Transcarpathia, and it looks like it opened around 2013. We learned that the clinic is like a mini hospital. It had a staff of doctors, nurses, and technicians. They did basic general medicine type stuff, but also had expensive modern equipment to do MRIs, CT scans, x-rays, and minor surgery. The website for the hospital, where we got most of this information, listed fathers Went and Damien, Petro and Vasil, all as directors as recently as last year. But strangely, that site became disconnected over the summer, and we couldn't find any news as to why. Also, it looked like they were starting to build a new monastery about eight years ago. From Facebook photos, it was shaping up to be a small version of the gold, onion-domed Orthodox churches you see across Eastern Europe. But we had no idea where it was in Ukraine. And after 2014, there are no more public photos of Father Went or Damien. Up until then, they look almost exactly as they did at Holy Cross forever in their long black robes. But Petro, the monk who was Wen's assistant, had more recent photos. In older pictures, he dressed in monk's robes, but now he was almost always in regular clothes. And as you click through his photos, you see less of the other monastics and more of someone else, a woman. And they look close, like a girlfriend or maybe even a wife. We wondered if he left the group. It was also unclear whether or not they still use the monastery in North Carolina, which they still own. The property was put up for sale around 2016, but it never sold, and they took it off the market two years later. We tried reaching out to all of them through social media because we had so many questions, but never got any response. So last year, when we talked to the former monastic candidate Ilya Herzog, who lives in Ukraine, we decided to see if he knew anything. 
Ilya told us that one of the monks, Josip Lembak, who is also another one of his cousins, left the group when they returned to Ukraine. He got married and started a family. But Ilya heard that Josip left in part because of the medical center. Because I know that Josip's brother, we were working together, and he told me that he visited the center before Josip was there, before he left. So he didn't like the way it was here, that they had to work all the times, all the days, and uh, even if it was holidays or Sundays. But usually in our religion, if it's a big holiday or Sunday, you, you don't do any physical work. And there they, they were working and he was asking his brother Joseph, why are you working? And they said, because father went blessed our work, we can do anytime, anything, and any day, like that. And then <laughs> they were only two of them, Vasil and Joseph. And then Joseph left. Ilya told us that his other cousin, Vasil, was no longer working at the medical center. But his path out of the clinic was different. He's staying over there in USA, and Vasil now is making a grill with um, chicken meat, grilling somebody. He's a in chef? Some, in some shopping center. Where? It's in the place that they moved from Miami. I don't really remember. So, to your knowledge, Vasil is in the U.S.? He's not in Ukraine? Yes. I was speaking with his brother maybe two days before. And he was asking me, what do you think I can do to bring Vasil back? So he's not affiliated with Went or Damien anymore? I believe they are, but Father Went and Petro, what I heard from Vasil's brother, they're here in Uzgrod. And Vasil is by himself, I believe. Is he still a monk? Yes. He's still a monk, but he cooks chickens. Based on what we thought we knew, we were obviously surprised to hear that any of the former Holy Cross monks were living in North Carolina. But we were even more stunned to find out that Basile, a monk whose job it was to serve the monastery, was maybe working as a cook. It felt a little unbelievable, to be honest. And we were hoping that knowing where Vasil was might help us get in touch with the priests, too. We tried calling the Weaverville Monastery, but the numbers listed no longer belonged to it. And he didn't reply to our messages online. So we sent a local producer, Greta Weber, to see if she could confirm if Vasil was really alone in North Carolina. So I'm now driving up the hill toward the monastery. It's a gravel road. It's a pretty steep hill. Greta said that whatever security cameras and electric fence that the OCA visitors saw when they first came to the monastery was long gone by now, and that the whole setup felt pretty simple. The monastery is really just like kind of shipping container um, looking, very basic uh, building. She also noticed that the monastery's name changed yet again. It says Holy Transfiguration of the Lord Chapel. But no monks were there. All the blinds are closed in the monastery. Yeah, it looks like no one's really been in there for a while. 
Greta was able to meet some neighbors from the houses around the monastery. They were willing to talk to her a bit after she told them what she was doing, but they didn't want to be recorded for the podcast. Greta said none of them seemed to know much about the monks, even though some of them were neighbors for years. But they did say at least one person was living there at the moment. A monk they knew as Seraphim, who we knew as Vasil. And they told Greta that he did have a job. He worked in a shopping center. And so I kind of put it together that it was Vasil that worked at And so I just started calling and, and literally just asking, like, is Vasil working today? Eventually I got to the, I think it was the deli department. And I asked, you know, is Vasil working today? And the guy was like, who? And I was like, oh, you know, he's Ukrainian. And he was like, oh, yeah, Vasil, like, let me get him. And then I was like, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. <laughs> so I just hung up. And that was our mistake. We didn't really prepare Greta for what to say to Vasil if she found him. I guess we figured we'd take it from there. We'd go ourselves and try to talk to him. But by the time she did confirm that Vasil was living in North Carolina, Melanie and I had other plans. We figured out where Father Went and Father Damien's new monastery was and booked our flights to Ukraine. That's coming up after the break. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Welcome back to Sacred Scandal. I'm Paula Barros. And I'm Melanie Bartley. All right, here we go, Ukraine. When Ilya confirmed that most of the Holy Cross group was still in Transcarpathia, we knew we had to go find them. I know it sounds crazy, but it's crazy for Melanie and me, too. We never thought we'd go this far. What started as visits to Mike and prison an hour or so north of Miami was now a search for a monastery in a remote corner of Eastern Europe. We figured it's a small part of the world. If we ask around, someone has to know where to find a tall American priest. This was in early December of 2021, just as the political tension between Russia and Ukraine started to begin. Everyone in our family was worried about us, telling us not to go. Are you sure you want to go now? But by then, we'd already bought our tickets. So we flew from Miami to Istanbul to Lviv, a city in western Ukraine. We're officially in Ukraine. And that's the landing. 
We got a landing, ladies and gentlemen. Wish us luck, guys. And then we did a long four and a half hour drive from one side of the Carpathian Mountains to another. Officer Jude. Here you go, sir. America, until we got to Uzgorod, the city where the Holy Cross monks opened their medical center. I'm in Ukraine. <laughs> Before we started looking for Fathers Went and Damien, though, there was another pair we needed to talk to first. Mike's parents, Maria and Yuri Kofel. They still live a lot like they did while Mike was growing up. Yuri retired from the railroad, but in their 60s, they still work in the fields with tools straight from the 1800s. A few years ago, Mike wrote to Paula and me, worried because he hadn't gotten an email from his parents for a long time. Aside from us, they're really the only other people he hears from regularly. We got in touch with the Kofels, and it turned out that Florida's prison email service was now blocked in Ukraine. So we helped his parents get into a VPN so they could get around the restrictions. Since then, we've kept in touch with them, too. We don't share a common language, but we email and use Google Translate. We wanted to meet them at their home and see Verkovina Bistra, the village where Mike grew up. But they didn't want us to visit and draw the same attention that the lawyers, private investigators, and other reporters brought two decades ago. So, their local priest drove them almost two hours from the village to our hotel in Uzgorod. And we spoke with them through a translator, Yulia Tarasuk, who amazingly kept up with our conversation for hours. Mel and I met the Kofels for the first time, in person, a few hours after we arrived in the city. We were honestly a little worried about how this meeting would go at first and how they would feel about finally meeting us in person. But when we saw them waiting outside our hotel, the four of us recognized each other right away. They were so friendly, bubbly, and really excited to see us. We all hugged and went inside to start the interview. Yeah, Maria, живу в селі Верховна Бестра, мати Михайла. She's Maria, she lives in Navarro-Novestra, and she loves Mikhailo a lot, and she's waiting for him to come soon. And Yuri? Yeah, Yuri, Batko, Mikhailo. I hope that God will soon be home. He's his father, and he's waiting for him to be home soon. Great. Though it was exciting to meet them after all these years, we knew this would be different than our casual emails. Today, Mel and I would have to bring up some more difficult stuff with them, things we weren't sure they'd be comfortable talking about. And after our emotional greeting, these questions would be hard for us to ask. Mihailo has told us that you, I guess, Yuri, you had a, a drinking problem when he was growing up. And um, he's very happy that you're recovered now. But can you tell us a little bit about that phase of your life? Yuri seemed a bit embarrassed that we brought up this time in his life. He brushed it off and said it's just something that people did in those days. But it was his drinking 
that led to Mike's allegations of sex abuse against him. Since those allegations, Mike's relationship with his dad has mended, and he's actually retracted those initial accusations against Yuri. He said that he was too drunk to realize he was touching Mike and not his mother in their shared bed. Let's go back to these guys. How did they present the opportunity to you? What was the package? They said Went initially told them that the plan was to build a monastery and a hospital in Ukraine. Mike would study for three years in the U.S., then come back as a monk and a doctor and work in the hospital. They couldn't say no to such a thing, and they were hoping they will be meeting him here. Maybe not in his village, but they would live close. We asked the Kofels if they saw any signs that Mike was struggling at Holy Cross. They mentioned a few things that stood out to them, mostly that he seemed sad or different when he came home. He would also flinch and jerk back when they tried to hug him. And that time when he came home with Father Damien and the adoption was brought up, they felt as if the priest didn't want Mike to be alone with his own parents. Mm-hmm. So in 1998, he was coming everywhere, all around, always with Damien. And the mother was asking, what, do they love you so much there? Or like, why would they want what? to adopt you? In Mike's letters, the Kofel said their son told them that he was fine, but that Mike did hint at something he maybe didn't want to share. He would be telling to the mothers that they are watching some weird movies in the evening. He wouldn't confess what kind of movies because he felt ashamed, but he would just say they watch weird movies, such movies that I'm closing my eyes when I watch them. Only now does she assume those movies were pornography. The Kofels first heard about the murder through Petro's uncle, who helped run the candidate's house in Ukraine. He called to let them know what happened and to tell them that their son confessed and was in prison. And this really surprised Paula and me. We'd always just assumed that Father Went or Father Damien were the ones to give them this news, even with a translator. When they got the news, though, Maria and Yuri were shocked and didn't know what to do. In talking to them, it feels like they're still stuck in that moment, lost and powerless. Um, how has this experience, this whole thing, changed the two of you? Our translator, Yulia, choked up and started crying as the Kofels answered. Through tears, she told us that they both talked about depression and that Yuri said he just has to keep living but has no real happiness anymore. Yuri also said he has health issues and... His only hope is that he lives just a few more years to see Mike get out of prison. Now, 
Yulia wasn't the only one in the room with eyes filled with tears. The Kofels told us that over the last two decades, they already cried everything out. Maria said that maybe talking about it now could lighten their hearts. We were also curious about whether Father Went or Father Damien reached out to them at any point after Mike was arrested, to give them any more details on their son's case, or maybe just to see how they were doing. Did uh, Father Gregory call you at all to tell you what happened? They told us that they never once heard from any of the priests or the monks in the last 20 years. And this too really struck us. I mean, the Kofels trusted them as priests and knew them both. And Father Damien slept in their house and tried to adopt their son. It always felt like the least they could do was reach out, but that never happened. We are surprised too. We are surprised. And Maria and Yuri also were surprised to learn from us that the group were now living in Transcarpathia, something we figured they already knew. Finding out that fathers Went and Damien were living so close, but still never called or visited, clearly upset. The Kofels were still emotional all these years later. They clearly felt wronged by the priests. Maria wondered how they could all go through this terrible experience together, but get nothing but silence. They even went so far as to blame the murder on the priests because they were in control at Holy Cross. They also believed their son's allegations of sexual abuse against fathers Went and Damien. And Maria said it wasn't up to her or her husband to judge the priests, but to God. That night, the Kofels changed their mind about us coming to their home. Now they insisted that we stop by if we had time during our trip. Then we hugged again, we cried some more, and they drove back up the mountain to Vergovina Bistra. We wanted to know why no one from Holy Cross had ever reached out to them. So, the next morning, we'd start poking around Transcarpathia, trying to answer that question. That's coming up after a break. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today. 
by visiting musicgives.org. Welcome back to Sacred Scandal. Uzgarod is not a big city. There's not much more than 100,000 people, and it's got a small footprint on the map. Its sprawl is confined by mountains on one side, and the border between Slovakia and Ukraine on another. But on the eastern edge of town, about 15 minutes' drive from the city center, the group from Holy Cross built Protection Medical Center. It's a modern, cottagey-looking clinic that stood out from the worn, industrial buildings with roll-up doors and iron gates that surrounded it. I didn't know that there existed um, a private hospital. Uh, I think it's something quite unique for our town. Our translator, Yulia, who's lived in Uskarat her whole life, told us she never heard of the clinic and felt it was a weird place to set one up. It's hidden off the main road, and not many buses, she said, are routed out there. Not long before we left for Ukraine... We found out that the website for Protection Medical Center was down because now it had a different name. A new pin appeared on its Google Maps location. It was called Prevention Hospital. The new site showed it was part of a chain of two or three other clinics of the same name around Uzgarod. There was no mention of the priests or monks anywhere on the site. We were curious what happened and why it maybe changed hands. But we also wanted to see what they built. It felt like Holy Cross Academy all over again. They create some dream building, the name changes, and then they disappear. Paula, Julia, our producer Dennis and I, drove out there one afternoon just to see what they created. I mean, this is very impressive, I'll be honest. It's a nice building. It's very... (laughs) It's so strange. This building... It's really nice. It didn't look that nice on Google Maps. It didn't no. look as long. In person, it's just like really impressive. It's, it's really big. Impressive. It's really clean. It looks new. Yeah. It kind of looks like a, like mm-hmm. a like a ski lodge. Were there a lot of people here when you came out? Yes, I was actually surprised that it was. Um, we asked Yulia to visit the medical center before we arrived in Ukraine. We wanted to see if she could figure out if the priests were still involved or find a way for us to get in touch with them through the center. She found out that they did move on from running the hospital, because apparently it wasn't doing well. She said staff told her it was being run in too much of an American way. They had the philosophy of individual medicines. It seemed not to work very well in Ukraine, probably from some cultural differences. They still owned the facility, but rented everything to this new clinic. But something else happened while talking to the staff. Without asking... Someone gave Yulia cell phone numbers for Father Went and Petro. We got these phone numbers days before we left, and we debated whether it was best to reach out before we got there or not. On the one hand, we knew their history, and worried that if they knew we were coming, they might do what they did before and leave. But we also felt like we needed to let them know about this podcast and that we would be trying to talk to them when we got there. We were conflicted. In the end... We decided to get advice from the one person we knew who was closest to them, Mike. We sent him an email asking what he thought was best, send the priest a message first, or just show up. He wrote back and said that if fathers went and Damien knew we were coming, they would probably try to hide. 
and we did not want to risk going all the way to Ukraine only for them to disappear. So after visiting the hospital and dropping off our translator, Melanie, Dennis, and I decided to just show up at the monastery and see if they were willing to talk to us. Wait, how did you find this place one more time, Dennis? Um, I found it through Father... You know, I'm not friends with them on Facebook, but they Continue have pictures that are public. Father Damien had pictures of them building a monastery, construction photos. Um, the town that it, they kept saying it was in, it is. I found that monastery, and it is not them. It is not okay. that. And so, what I ended up doing was looking at other people who had commented on the photos that they had put up and uh-huh. seeing where they were from. And it kept saying that town. So I was like, well, maybe if people who know this is coming and are visiting there or from there, it's got to be close to there. So I started, I went on the map and I just started looking around for any sort of like thing that looked like new construction or a new build. And okay. I was looking at those photos, realizing like it needs to have trees in the background. So it needed to be at the edge of one of these villages or in the middle of the forest. Okay. And so. I looked all around the. So Lord you were just Chobo, like on, on the, the map, maps. clicking around, clicking around, and then I went into the woods and I found that clearing, and I said, "What the hell is this in this clearing?" And I zoomed in and I was like, "That's the building, like that's, that's amazing. It. with the dome. It was this the same shape that has this area, this like thing beside it with bells." Okay. And then went and Damien both have pictures of them in these like houses that look like log cabins, and the buildings beside it are buildings that look like little like log cabins. Oh, build wow. out in the woods. And so I'm just like, this It has to this be. has to be something that they build where they live. That's great detective work. And it's like it's all it's all new. And then we have confirmation from G- from Yulia. And then they're... Yulia just showed me that thing today and I was like, that's it. What did she show you? There is a site that's a listing of monasteries. I've come across it before. Okay. She found it because she searched it in Ukrainian. Exactly. But she searched it in Ukrainian and the name is slightly different. Okay. And when she brought it up, we just confirmed we looked at the pictures that the picture they have on there with the construction photos and it's the same building. The new monastery and homes they built were in a clearing about 40 minutes outside of Uskarod. The land is isolated on a mountainside. There's nothing but forest all around, and the nearest neighbor was at least half a mile away in a town across the river. This is the moment we've been talking about so much. Yeah. I can't believe like we're here. Yeah. I was nervous as we drove there. That morning, we debated whether or not this was a good idea just to show up there unannounced. What if they lived so remotely because they didn't want outsiders coming there? What if they were armed and shot us on sight? Would anyone out here even know? Two minutes. With that in mind, we booked our entire trip around going to the monastery on a Sunday so we could try to time our arrival just after Sunday liturgy, when there might be other people around. Knowing what we heard about electric fences and security cameras at their place in North Carolina, we didn't know what to expect. There's no address for this monastery. So before we left, Paula and I sent the coordinates of the property to our families, just in case anything happened. Are the two of you gonna go in, or me? Well, I'm Just the two of us go in is... all three of us go. Yeah, okay. I'm starting to get nervous. Are you? Yeah. I mean, not starting, I've been, but it's like uh, we're getting closer and... Relax, baby, relax. I'm kind of doing it for 
for Mike's parents. Absolutely. Like, I'm going to knock on that door just to ask them why they haven't called them. As we pulled off the main highway, we drove farther and farther from town and deeper into the remote mountain forest. On these rural back roads, the early winter snow started to fall harder and harder, coating the road and the trees in a cold white quilt. Okay, this is feeling a little The Shining. This is very The Shining. It completely changed. Everything is different. see anything. Oh, okay, I see where we're going. Yeah, this is very uh, hard to find. There's a vehicle. Here, this is a location. You have arrived. And there's a van. When we approached the entrance to the monastery, there was an old Soviet-looking van at the bottom of the driveway. The gate was open, but the drive was a rocky mountain trail that was steadily getting snowier and snowier. The hill was steep, and through the narrow entrance between the trees, you couldn't see any buildings. It was like looking straight up at the sky. The local people didn't risk driving up the hill, so neither would we. We parked on the roadside and waited to see if anyone would return to the van. After a few anxious minutes, Dennis, our producer, volunteered to walk up the hill to see if it felt safe for us to enter the property. Dennis is walking up there to explore and see what's going on. I just hope he doesn't get bit by that dog or anything. Hello? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. I'm gonna um you guys keep talking so I know I can hear you. Yes, yes. absolutely. Is it okay if like I, I answered on the on the Apple t on the Apple thingy? And it's on speaker. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. He's walking up. Alright then. It's gonna be okay. Can you hear me? It looks like all the footprints are leaving here. Are they big footprints? I think mean, they're just a lot. Tall man. The shoes. Boots. No, they look like women's shoes, to be honest. Really? Yeah. This dog is just staring at me. There are so many gates up here. Really? Yeah. Are they closed? No, they're open. But... There's some trees cut down. Up here, we definitely can't drive up this. No, right? We can't. This is a mess. No, I wouldn't. It's it's bad. Okay. Even the cars that have come up here are all skidded out. Okay, that would explain why the van is down here. Yeah, this is not drivable. Oh, good to know. And this dog does it's... not look happy to see me. Okay, if you're scared, okay. at... grab grab a rock or something, or stick, just in case. Yeah, grab a stick. This is totally fenced off, even though it's in the woods. Totally fenced off. Really? Barbed wire. Stop. Yeah. I can't see anybody else up here. I'm coming back down. Okay, baby, get over here. This is like a compound. Um, is there like a doorbell or? 
Or a camera? The gate is open. Okay. I can't see any cameras, but there's a gate. It's open. Oh, shit, I think somebody's coming. Really? Are you coming now? Okay. Yeah. Are you... What, if what if it's him? What if it's him? Because this dog is like... Yeah, that's... I don't know if it is or not. I'm coming now. Okay. I'm just getting paranoid being up here. It's You're like, close. If you see this fence, this fence will make you paranoid. Because mind you, this is, this is like dense forest up here. Okay. Get out. Get over here. Seems kind of extreme. Okay. Me. I don't think it's safe like, for us to do this. Like nobody wants you to come up here. Okay. Like, uh, I mean. But is there someone coming I don't down? Understand. Do you see someone coming down at all, or no? No, not now. Okay. Yeah, we can't drive up there, so we'd have to walk up this. And okay. This is not an easy up or an easy down. Okay. I mean, it's an easy up. Okay, we we see you. Else. We see you. We see you. We see you. I I have my eye on you. Just get over here. Yeah, this is unsafe feeling. <laughs> okay. That fence, that, that fence puts me off. I mean, it looks like, you know, when you see like government military property. Shut the fuck up. That's the type of fence. Oh my god, is. okay. And it's like a serious. And it goes, it's like. Oh my god. We're taking that this home. This is what the whole road is all the way up. Just little stones. Get in, get in. It's here. like so imbalanced. Okay. Yeah. I uh yeah, yeah. I, I need Pringles. I'm so nervous. Okay. Um so, you okay? You good? Yeah, I'm good. It's okay. just that, that fence made me paranoid. Really? Because it's it's like the whole property is get, wow. is fenced off. Mm. As if like don't come around it's not just like don't drive up here, it's don't walk up here, don't, don't come fucking around. anything up here. Let me see. Wow. This I would not drive up this road either because if you had to get out of here, I mean, you can see the tire tracks yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. of somebody going up there. Yeah, it was. We would probably struggle. need chains. Yeah, it's a struggle. At this point, honestly, guys, I think that we should send them. The I think send him message. a note. At this point, it feels like send him the note. We drove back to Uzgorod and wrote a long message on the way. We explained what we were doing in Ukraine, that I was a former Holy Cross student, and that we wanted to hear their side of everything. We sent the message off to both numbers we'd gotten, Father Went and Petro. They were delivered and read on both ends, and we waited for a response. Uh, I know you got my message today, and I was just following up. I'm in town for only a few days, doing this to the I think we should talk. Cool. Do I speak her? No, no speaker. We heard nothing for hours. So we tried to call those numbers that evening. Hello, good evening. Is this Father Gregory Wendt? No. Um, who am I speaking to? I'm sweating. Well, we did, that's a thing we didn't plan for. What? Was somebody else to pick up. We did. Yeah, but not somebody who was, who was going to talk to you in English and sound like that. Who the hell was that? We couldn't tell if it was Petro or Went or neither of them. We started to worry if these were their phone numbers at all. Then, around midnight, a text finally came in. 
it was Petro. He said he wasn't interested in talking to us. He also didn't believe that I was someone from Holy Cross. We were already in bed in our hotel rooms when this message came in. We huddled up for an emergency meeting to figure out a response. We really wanted him to understand why we flew halfway across the world to talk to them. That this show would be released, whether they spoke with us or not. And that at this point, Mihailo Kofel, a confessed murderer, was the main spokesperson for what happened at Holy Cross. And that message changed his mind. He agreed to talk with us privately at our hotel the next day. Petro wanted to see if he remembered Paula and if the others from the monastery could trust us. We were expecting Petro to be cold and standoffish based on his texts and the testimony videos we watched over and over through the years. But he was incredibly warm toward both of us. In the hour or so that we talked, he really opened up and we learned a lot. Petro was no longer a monk, but an Orthodox priest. He was married and had a family. He also told us he was still on the board at the new medical center, but closing their clinic meant there were other changes too. Petro told us that only a few months earlier, after the hospital changed hands, Father Damien left Ukraine. Now, he was back in North Carolina with Vasil. Our team met in a cafe after the talk with Petro to share what else we found out. Father Devout works at... Father David works at... They both work there? Yeah, they both do. Because they're broke. They have no money. This ruined them. This ruined their lives. The medical center was a failure. They lost all their money. They're, they're in so much debt. Father went lives in Petro's house, like, with the family. Like, um. He said he was willing to do a recorded interview and that he would talk to Father Went about joining us well. He told us he'd send us a text later that day. We waited to hear back from Petro, and he finally messaged us that evening. He sent a text saying Father Went would like to talk to us on the phone first before agreeing to an interview. But, he said, the priest would call us. It was already late, and our last night in Uzgorod. The next day, we planned to stop by the Kofels as he was on the way back to Lviv. We needed to leave by midday to avoid driving through the mountains at night and miss the worst of a huge snowstorm that was expected to roll through in the evening. We stayed in Uzgorod a little later than we wanted, hoping to hear from Father Went or Petro. We reached out, but we got nothing but silence. With the snowstorm coming, we gave up and started making the four-and-a-half-hour drive back to Lviv so we could catch our flights to Miami early the next morning. Then, about an hour into the drive... The headphones, the headphones. The phone rang. Hello? Uh, hey, Paula. So here, I'm here with Father Gregory. We're going to talk to him now, okay? Oh, thank you so much, Petro. Okay. I'm giving him the phone. Okay. Hello? Hi. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Hello, Father Went. How are you doing? Good. I'm a little long-winded when I'm nervous, and I'm very I'm nervous and excited to talk to you. I was so nervous talking to Father Went. I imagined this moment for years. 
and we sat anxiously on the side of a rural Ukrainian road, trying to convince him to give us his side of the story. After almost an hour on the phone, Father Went made up his mind. I think it's more well, exciting. And I think that, you know, you have something that you would like to do. Yeah. And uh, don't see anything wrong with it. So why not advance what we can for you? We set a time to meet with them at the monastery that evening. In a few hours, we'd be face to face with Father Abbot Gregory Went. Sacred Scandal is a production of Exile Content Studio in partnership with iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network. Sacred Scandal was created and produced by Melanie Bartley and me, Paula Barros. Our senior producer is Dennis Funk of Written in Air. The executive producers are Rose Reed and Nando Villa. Production, mixing, and sound design by Helena DeGroot. Our production assistant is Imani Leonard. The show is fact-checked by Kimberly Winston. Original music and final audio mixing comes from Patrick Hart. And special thanks on this episode to Yulia Tarasuk, Greta Weber, and Travis Roig. If you'd like to reach out, email us at hello at sacredscandalpodcast.com and you can follow us on Instagram at sacredscandal. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.